The wealth of slavery arrived each week to New York Harbor in the hulls of sailing ships. These were brigs, packets, and schooners, and they came from Charleston, New Orleans, and Chesapeake Bay. What they carried was not cash or coin, but the spectrum of precious commodities that enslaved black people in the South were forced to produce. Bales of cotton and tobacco, barrels of sugar, and bags of corn and Carolina rice. By 1810, only a few such ships had arrived in lower Manhattan, and they carried a total of $700,000 worth of cotton, a small but significant sum. Yet by the 1820s, there were fleets of such ships, larger and more loaded down each year, and they hauled $4 million worth of cotton, the equivalent of almost $100 million today. This maritime trove grew and grew, such that ten years before the Civil War, 2,000 vessels carried a bounty worth hundreds of millions of dollars up the coast to New York, as much as one-third of all the agricultural wealth that black women, children, and men on southern plantations produced, the centerpiece of America's export trade. There in New York, these commodities were marketed, sold, and repackaged on thousands more ocean-going vessels, bound for England and other countries around the world. This was staggering wealth, and though it had originated on plantations, it wasn't the South's anymore. Discharged on the slips of Manhattan's East River, not to mention in Philadelphia and Boston's Back Bay, this wealth became the domain of the North, feeding the ascendance and splendor of its Atlantic Ocean cities. It wasn't by chance that Manhattan, though a thousand miles from the South, became the center of cotton, tobacco, and sugar shipping in the United States by 1820, and soon after that the hub of financing and profiteering from black enslavement in the nation. It happened because of a small set of white businessmen on Wall Street. It happened because of their ruthless design to make themselves richer, not by enslaving black people themselves, though some did, but by commandeering the flow of products that black people were forced to make. These were men who kept their offices near the wharves. They lived in mansions of granite and marble on Fifth Avenue or Pearl Street or Broadway. They bore their era's most eminent names. They were Wrights and Aspinwalls, Minturns and Fishes, Taylors and Pines, Gracies and Macy's, Thompsons and Rogerses, Dodges, Phelpses, Browns, Howlands, and too many other white names to name. Many weren't born rich. Black people's stolen time and labor made them that way. By the 1820s, they constituted the pinnacle not only of New York society, but of white prosperity in the United States. They sat together on the same corporate boards and, through stock ownership, were further connected to an interlocking network of corporations, as well as society and charitable clubs. They were proudly committed to culture, to white cultivation, and to enslaving black human beings, doggedly racist and later rabidly anti-abolitionist. These men were mariners, above all, their fortunes tied to the waters, to the shipping of cargo. The story of the rising wealth of slavery, bringing forward a new kind of riches that changed the country and the world, begins in an important sense with the sea.